Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Get Your Goat podcast. Josh here, and I am so happy that football is back. Thursday night is the first preseason game. I don't know if I have ever been this excited about preseason football in my life. Oh, fact checked. I have never been this excited about preseason football. Two teams I don't like. On Thursday night, the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers, but my eyes will be glued to the TV screen because it is football and it's here to stay until February of next year. So I am looking forward to that. I'll break down that game in a later podcast. But today, talking about Carson Wentz, my top 10 most impactful players Going into this new season, NBA free agency will be upon us in a few hours, and then I will update you with some other things in the sports world. Wow. Getting started. Carson Wentz undergoing foot surgery. He will be out 5 to 12 weeks. That is a long time frame. 5 to 12 weeks. And with Carson Wentz, I would definitely put it on the 12-week track instead of a 5-week track. This is a broken man. Uh, He is broken. Knee injuries, lower body injuries, concussions have plagued his career uh, for the past few years. Even the head coach, Frank Wright said that it is an old injury, you know, possible from a high school, a broken bone that came loose in Carson Wentz's foot. So, again, this is a broken man. And to me, a lot of the Colts and how good they were, their kind of path that people were saying were a dark horse Super Bowl contender, Uh, could emerge as division favorites. A lot of it had to do with the health and success of Carson Wentz. I was always, uh, you know, a little on the fence about that. I didn't know if, you know, he'd be fully healthy. Can he still be the same guy? I always thought Tennessee Titans are the premier team in that AFC South division, but I thought a healthy Carson Wentz could give them a run for their money with that defense. Now, this changes the whole situation because I do not think that they will be fighting for a spot in the division. Uh, That's 12 weeks. Uh, Now that he's gone, the Colts, you know, are giving up a third-round pick because the second-round pick was conditional on if Wentz plays 75% of the snaps. That won't be happening so the Colts you know actually gave up less now uh, to the Eagles and the Colts don't have an easy schedule to begin with they open against the Seahawks play the Rams the Titans the Dolphins the Ravens uh, all playoff teams all really good teams and I don't see them getting by that I think with this defense I know Darius Leonard DeForest Buckner are saying that they want to have the number one defense, and I think this is easily a top five defense, can be the number one defense, uh, will have, uh, you know, will keep them close in games for sure, but they won't be able to complete comebacks or seal the deal with Carson Wentz out. And when you look at their quarterbacks beneath them, you have Jacob Eason, who hasn't played any meaningful NFL games. Sam Ellinger, rookie out of Texas. Jalen Morton. Brett Hundley, who hasn't played in a few years. He was a backup to Aaron Rodgers and didn't do good uh, for them when Aaron Rodgers was injured. And he's the only one who has attempted an NFL pass. So they said Jacob is the guy right now. He's in the driver's seat. And I don't see him winning football games with Jacob Eason or any of those guys, I really do not. I think it's going to be a very a tough road ahead for this Indianapolis Colts team 
given their schedule, uh, the strain that'll be on their defense of their quarterback. So I just don't see this team doing well with their current situation. And then, since this has happened, all the rumors have started to bring Nick Foles from the Chicago Bears back to his coach, Frank Reich, from the Philadelphia Eagles. And to me, what a wild, how crazy would that be if they pursued Nick Foles? Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, the two battling for the job in Philadelphia. They both end up losing it. One's on the Colts now, one's on the Bears, but somehow they both reunite on the Colts. And it could be the case, Nick Foles, you know, is the third string quarterback for the Bears getting paid the most. Andy Dalton's ahead of him, but he said he's a starter. Justin Fields is ahead of him. So who knows, but Foles has a history with Reich, as did Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz would have been the league MVP if he would have stayed healthy. But Nick Foles went on that incredible one run with Reich and won the Super Bowl. Uh, so who knows? Even Nick Foles was talking about Frank Wright tells him how awesome that he is one of his favorite coaches of all times and how understandable that he is, but he's a Chicago Bear right now. But who knows? I don't think they would make a trade. Again, Carson Wentz is already a fractured quarterback, kind of a fractured person. Uh, with all the change that has gone through with the Eagles and Jalen Hurts and Nick Foles and Sanford and all this mess, to bring Nick Foles in, I think, would just legitimately crush Carson Wentz. But they do need a quarterback. Jacob Eason is not the fit. I don't think Carson Wentz is the fit anymore. And it's time for the Indianapolis Colts to get serious about a legitimate Franchise quarterback that can carry your team. They have not replaced Peyton Manning. The closest was Andrew Luck. But look at the injuries that he sustained and had to exit the game of football at such a young age. So again, Carson Wentz getting injured is not a new storyline, but it is impactful to the Indianapolis Colts who are hoping to make some sort of a run this year with a tremendous defense. But that is unlikely to happen, and I don't think will happen. Now, I am going to give you my top 10 most impactful players in the NFL right now. This isn't necessarily saying my top 10. This definitely is not my top 10 favorite players or who I think are the best ranking from top to bottom. But I do think... These are the most impactful in terms of what they bring to the table. Maybe contrasted to what happened when they were injured. Oh, we're not what they're and what they just bring to this team and what they mean to this team. Who do I think has the most meaning, brings the most value to their team? And I'm going to give you that list right now. I have given you all the lists so far, my top 10 quarterbacks running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, cornerbacks, and safeties. And this is simply my top 10 most impactful players. And everyone that is on this list has been on a previous list. So let's get started with number 10. And my number 10 uh, for my most impactful player is George Kittle. Why? Well, it is hard to replace a two-time Pro Bowler, one first-team All-Pro, and you see the difference in this offense. Fully healthy in 2018-2019, both years, 1,000 receiving yards, uh, five touchdowns each on the year, was tremendous at blocking as well, and you look at the stats for this team where the 49ers a year removed at 2019 had over 6,000 offensive yards averaged six yards 
in offensive play. You know, they almost had 4,000 passing yards as well. Jimmy G's completion percentage was high. He was impactful. You know, 28 passing touchdowns. Uh, This team was really good. And Super Bowl contenders, they lost in the Super Bowl to the Chiefs. Now you compare that to the following year where George Kittle had an off year. While they didn't even eclipse 6,000 yards, so that was a dip. The offensive yards were 5.7 per play, so that was 0.3 yards less. Uh, Passing touchdowns, they had less at 25. So really, the whole makeup of this offense changed where George Kittle has been the top dog at 1,000 receiving yards. And uh, last year, they didn't have an 1,000-yard wide receiver. Uh, Kendrick Bourne was the leading receiver with 667 yards. Uh, Not really that great at all. You know, played in every game except for one, and that's all he could muster. And George Kittle was the second... Highest receiver in terms of yards on this team with 634 yards, second most receptions on this team, and he only played in eight games. And most of those games in the beginning of the season, he was injured, but he still went out there and played and kind of played the final two games as well. Uh, you know, off injury, but still played half games injured. And was almost the leading wide receiver. That is how impactful George Kittle and how much he means to this San Francisco uh, 49er football team. Again, he wasn't, to me, the best uh, tight end. But that was Travis Kelsey. But with the weapons Travis Kelsey has, it's not just him. They do have Tyreek Hill, whereas George Kittle, he is simply... The man, and as he goes on offense, everyone else sort of goes. Number nine is Derrick Henry, running back for the Tennessee Titans, the King. And simply put, this is another one where you can't really replace him. Two time Pro Bowler, first team. All-Pro last year. Offensive Player of the Year as well. And in the past two years, leading the league in rush attempts, rush yards, rush touchdowns, rushing yards per game at over a hundred and over 100, 102, and then 126 last year with a very high usage rate, most yards from scrimmage. Derrick Henry is the cream of the crop. And you, when you look at when he wasn't fully healthy and wasn't a starter, yes, he averaged 1,059, but it was 66 yards a game. So with him healthy and playing the best running back in football, the rushing yards have increased by 40 in one year and in 60 in two years. That is insane. That is how good Derrick Henry is. Having the bulk of the offensive yards, the Titans had 6,343 yards. Uh, The rushing offense accounted for 2,690 yards. And when you look at it too, when you watch the Tennessee Titans play, that opens up so much more for Ryan Tannehill on offense because teams are expecting to stop Derrick Henry or they'd rather stop Derrick Henry and force Ryan Tannehill to throw, which leaves wide receivers one-on-one in favorable matchups, which lets... Ryan Tannehill uh, make it easier on him. And then also they can perfect the zone read option where they fake the handoff to Derrick Henry. Everybody thinks that it's going to him, so they collapse on Derrick, leaving Ryan Tannehill to actually run free. And he had a couple of long rushing games last year, rushing plays 50 yards, 40 yards uh, for touchdowns because he goes home free. Because they think Derrick Henry is the man. Without Derrick Henry, 
This offense would be very different. Ryan Tannehill would be a very different quarterback, very reminiscent of what we would see in Miami, where he was there and wasn't good, but he has been better because they have Derrick Henry. Now, who is number eight on my list? That is Miles Garrett. A freak of nature, the best defensive end, edge rusher, in my opinion. And he's also one of the most impactful players for this Cleveland Browns defense. Last year, had a career year, Pro Bowl, first team All-Pro. To me, could have been in contention for Defensive Player of the Year as well. That's how good he was. Uh, With 12 sacks, 48 tackles, 18 quarterback hits, he was simply phenomenal. Uh, The catalyst for this Browns defense and this Browns resurgence, that was the real deal. That's how good he is. And you look at this team and you look at this defensive team, how stout uh, he is, only allowed... Uh, 1,773 rushing yards. That's around uh, 4.3 rushing yards a play. That is tremendous. That shows his impact. Uh, sacks, 26. As I said, he had 12. So he, him by himself, out of the 11 players on defense, that one player had about half of these sacks on this team. Put that into perspective. One player had half the sack amounts, so the other 10 players matched that. That is how good Miles Garrett is. He faces double teams, still breaks through them, but he means so much to this Cleveland Browns defense. And as they look to the Super Bowl, they expect him to be even better. I don't know how much better Miles Garrett can be because he is a standout, great. Defensive player and the best edge rusher defensive end that lines up at that spot in the game right now. Now, who is number seven? Now, to me, this could be a wide receiver quarterback duo. I was debating on Josh Allen, but I thought, you know, the impact of Josh Allen really needs to go to Stefan Diggs. So, Stefan Diggs, to me, is number seven. That's how good uh, Stefan Diggs is this year, going to the Pro Bowl, his first, his first team All-Pro, league leader in receptions at 127, league leader in receiving yards at 1,500, eight touchdowns, catch percentage of 78, as well, yards per game at 96, just short of 100 as well. Had about 128 touches, 12 yards a touch, which is around a first down and more than a first down every single time. So you look at the offensive yards that they had, 5,913 total offensive yards. Of those uh, rushing yards, you know, were 2,374, which leads them to about... 3,500 passing yards and 1,500 of those 3,500 passing yards were Stefan Diggs alone. Uh, so it isn't half, just a little less than half, but Stefan Diggs accounted for so much uh, of this passing attack. He was really, really good as well. Passing touchdowns at 40. He had eight of those. Josh Allen got the ball a lot. But as we see, you know, he had 1,500. No other receiver on this team had more than 1,000. Cole Beasley was close with 900. But then you see the drop from the 900 to 300 for Devin Singletary. Uh, So Stephon Diggs carried the bulk of the load 
here offensively, especially for this receiving corpse team. Turned into the favorite wide receiver of Josh Allen and to me, which is why he took this meteoric leap uh, from quarterback that looked lost against the Texans in a wild card game to one that was dominant, second in MVP voting, lost to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game because of Stephon Diggs and the catalyst there for this passing attack. Again, to me, he's not the best wide receiver or better. Uh, You have Tyreek Hill up there, but Travis Kelsey's also there. So both of them make a big impact. You have Devontae Adams, but with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, I've seen Devontae Adams not play, and Aaron Rodgers still put up good numbers, and this team still does it. And DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, to me, I thought this would be a similar situation, uh, but Kyler Murray didn't take that next step with DeAndre Hopkins that we were all expecting to, but Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen took that step, and that was uh, because of Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen feeding the ball to him continually. And you saw the impact that he had, the way he catches the ball, the way he runs routes as well. It's simply automatic, which is why he is one of the most impactful players heading into this season. Number six on my top ten is Russell Wilson. Amazing seven-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion as well in his second year in the league. You know, led the league in touchdown once, you know, with 34 yards as well. Uh, Is great, but however, you know, he takes a ton of sacks. But that shouldn't be put into perspective of Russell Wilson. This man accounts for so much of this offense. He's had 24 comebacks, 31 game-winning drives. That is all Russell Wilson and the brilliance of it every single time. If you were to look at him and what he does with this terrible offensive line, we see terrible offensive lines and what happens to quarterbacks. We see Joe Burrow. And the injury that he sustained, torn ACL. We look at the Eagles and all the injuries sustained to Carson Wentz. Uh, Or you just look at bad football teams in general uh, because of the offensive line, whether it be the Lions or the Texans or such like that. But Seattle has consistently had one of the worst offensive lines, it seems like, for such a long time. Time, but it doesn't phase Russell at all. He still goes and plays his best, has never missed a start, never missed a game. You know, being hit almost more than any other quarterback in the league since he has been in, it doesn't affect uh, his performance at all. He still goes out and balls, throws for over 4,000 passing yards, 40 touchdowns. That's Uh, What he does as well. You look at how much he means to the team. 55 touchdowns they had total. 40 of them were all because of Russell Wilson. All because of him. Uh, Their yards as well. 5,912 rushing yards. But the 4,000 passing yards as well. Which accounts for more than two-thirds of a team's offense all comes uh, from Russell Wilson. The way he makes plays and scrambles out of a backfield, that's what he gives you. Even with a bad offensive line, you know, he's had weapons, he hasn't had weapons, and he still comes in. If you were to replace him with another quarterback, you know, the Carson Wentz that I mentioned, lower quarterbacks, where I think even a similar skill set such as Josh Allen as well, you wouldn't see the, uh, the production uh, because of the magician that Russell Wilson has and how much he means to this team moving uh, forward. Now getting into my top five. Number five is T.J. Watt. Three-time Pro Bowler, three years in a row. 
two-team, first-team All-Pro, uh, arguably a defensive player of the year last year, has led the league since he came in and forced fumbles. Two years ago, last year, led the league in sacks at 15, 23, tackle for loss as well. He led, had 41 quarterback hits. He was simply a beast at what he did. To me, the best outside linebacker in the game of football. That is how good he is. So 15 of the Steelers' 56 sacks came from TJ Watt, which is good because nobody got close to 15 sacks. Defensively, they were really good. Uh, as an outside linebacker, you don't expect for him to have 53 tackles, but he did. That's how good he was. And he means much to this defense as well because the opponents averaged 4.3 rushing yards of play. He is a great run stuffer, but also because of how fast and how quick he is, a quarterback has to throw the ball off right away. So that usually forces short passes and completions. And when you look at that 6.6 yards per play passing, and a lot of that is attributed to T.J. Watt and what he brings to the table night in and night out. Uh, He shuts teams down. Opponents' offensive plays, uh, average yards were 4.9. Again, third down conversions, 83 of 222. And when you look at that percentage-wise, that's only 37%, way below league average. Uh, And that is all due to T.J. Watt being the best defensive player on this team and one of the best defensive players in the league. Now number four, it got hard, especially my top four, where to order them. But I thought because the offense meant so much more, I couldn't put a defensive player, even if he might be the best player in the NFL. His impact is not on offense to me, which is changing the tide to winning games. And that player himself is the best defensive lineman, the best defensive player, and that is Aaron Donald, the most elite pass rusher, run stuffer, best there is right now, could be best defensive player of the lifetime, whatever it may be, seven-time Pro Bowler, six-team All-Pro, has won the defensive uh, player of the year, you know, three times defensive rookie of the year. He's won. That's how good he is. Has led the league in sacks before at 20 and a half, which almost broke the record has had double-digit sacks for a while now. Led the league in tackles for loss twice. Has had a safety, which led the league that one time uh, two years ago. So he is just a defensive force, a defensive wrecking ball that forces teams uh, to really game plan their offense around. How are they going to stop Aaron Donald? How are they going to contain Aaron Donald to where they are not disrupting my team. If I have a weak offensive line, it is about over. But if I have a decent one, how much resources am I going to allocate to stop Aaron Donald? Am I going to double team him? Am I going to triple team him? Am I going to send an edge off on him? Am I going to do play action less? Because that gives Aaron Donald more time to get to him. Am I going to have him roll out of a pocket since Aaron Donald lines up in the middle? How am I going to game plan against Aaron Donald and to me the only way is triple teaming him which leaves about everybody else one-on-one or even a guy home free that is the impact Aaron Donald brings to your team that is how good that he is as well Uh, defensively you know they have the great Jalen Ramsey as well but teams don't game plan around Jalen Ramsey. They accept what they're doing, but they game plan around uh, Aaron Donald. They do. They don't game plan around Jalen Ramsey. They accept that 
makes him not get an interception or stop him. But Aaron Donald is the one that is the disruptor that de- disrupts the rhythm of this offense that will allow you not to get anything going. 3.8 average yards for rushing, which is very low. Had the best defense last year. Only had 1,460 rushing yards allowed. And all this is a product of Aaron Donald and how good he is and the impact that he has on this defense and on this team overall. Now, number three on my list is Patrick Mahomes. One of the best, if not the best, in the game today. Three straight Pro Bowls, one first-team All-Pro, Offensive Player of the Year, Super Bowl MVP, regular season MVP. I mean, he has done it all in the short career that he has, has thrown for an NFL record 79 touchdowns in his first 32 games. I mean, this brother is simply unreal. He is uh, 5,000 passing yards, 4,000, almost 5,000 again. That is how good Patrick Mahomes is. Uh, Led the league in touchdowns at 50, uh, his first full year after his rookie season. That is how good Patrick Mahomes has been. He is the bulk of this offense. Offensive yards total for the Chiefs were 6,653. Most of those were passing yards. Almost 5,000 compared to the less than 2,000 that it were when you look at their touchdowns that they had. 13 rushing to 40 passing as well. Uh, and a plus six for the turnover ratio because he doesn't turn the ball over. We see the difference that Patrick Mahomes makes on the field, the way that he's able to throw the football, throw it on the run, get out of uh, pressure, escape pressure, even make plays with his legs. On occasion, Patrick Mahomes has tremendous vision, makes spectacular throws. That is what he does. However, I give him a knack because he has so much talent around him on the football field. Uh, For the years past, he has had the best tight end in Travis Kelsey, one of the best wide receivers in Tyreek Hill, had a decent one in Sammy Watkins as well. Has had a good running back in Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Damian Williams has stepped up. So he's had talent around him to where when you've seen uh, the backup come in, whether it be uh, Chad Henney, I think that's who it was last year in the playoffs. And I forget who came in when he was injured in the 2019 season for a couple games. But you still see him are competitive because of all the weapons that they have. So I can't say he is you know, the most impactful player because he has so many weapons where I see other quarterbacks you know, like Aaron Rodgers, uh, or Russell Wilson, and I say, hey, you know, put them in that same situation. Are we going to do the same? And I think they could put up very similar numbers to what Patrick Mahomes puts up, you know, with a decent offensive line, with the weapons that they have, with the coach that they have, and Andy Reid. So Patrick Mahomes was drafted into the perfect situation, perfect conditions. He means a lot to this team, but I can't say he's the most impactful player in the NFL. But he certainly helps their chances, and I think, you know, our only Super Bowl champions because he is there. Number two is Aaron Rodgers, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Another all time great nine time Pro Bowl, three team, three time first team All Pro, three time MVP, reigning MVP as well. Uh, where he led the league in completion percentage at 70.7, touchdowns at 48, uh, interception percentage at 1, 9.1 touchdown percentage. I mean, QBR he led at 84. I mean, this guy was the best of the best last year in terms of his position and how he played it. And that's how good he was 
And to me, the value really comes in not only when you look at his stats, which were tremendous and accounted for most of his team's offense, where you know they had 48 passing touchdowns to only 16 rushing and over 4,000 passing yards to 2,000 rushing, and most of the game is planned around Aaron Rodgers. And when Aaron Rodgers was holding out this year, you know, and was thinking about not playing mulling retirement, you know, maybe a trade. And you look at the quarterbacks behind that depth chart, depth chart, whether it be Jordan Love or whoever it might be. That is how impactful Aaron Rodgers is. Because yes, you know, they haven't been to a Super Bowl in a long time, but they, to me, they're consistently in the NFC Championship game, a great regular season team. And that is a product of Aaron Rodgers dissecting defense, uh, doing whatever it takes to try to win these kind of regular season games and put his team in position to win. Uh, and with the other quarterbacks on this roster, that is simply not the case. And I think even similar quarterbacks, because a lot of quarterbacks have a great wide receiver uh, combo, but they don't. I mean, you look at Kirk Cousins in that same division, has Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, also has Dalvin Cook as a really good offense. But Kirk Cousins, as I've said before, is con artist Kirk. He's a mediocre quarterback. He's a thief. And if you were to put a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers in that uh, offense with those two guys and the running back of Dalvin Cook, uh, you would have almost an MVP season every single year. That's how good Aaron Rodgers is and the impact he has uh, to a team that you know just has Devontae Adams. Even when Devontae Adams, this offense is still a threat with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Now time to get to who I think is the most impactful player. In the NFL. That is the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. Now, why do I say that he is the most impactful player? 14-time Pro Bowl, 3-time All-Pro, 3-time MVP, Player of the Year. Uh, He has done it all. He really has uh, great season after great season. 40-plus touchdowns in so many seasons. I mean, the brother can do it all. Tom Brady, my guy, is one of the best. Uh, Had way more passing yards than rushing yards. And also, excluding his stats, he is just the leader of this team. You've had guys like Devin White of this defense and defensive guys say he impacts the defense as well, his leadership his mentality, to me that's why he is so impactful because you had a very similar team before Tom Brady. Before Tom Brady was there, you still had Jason Pierre-Paul. You still had Shaq Barrett. You had Devin White. You had Levante David. You had Ronald Jones. You had Mike Evans. You had Chris Godwin. You had all these guys. You had a great team, great talent, but who was your quarterback? It was Jameis Crableg Winston. That's who it was. 5,000 passing yards. Number was inflated because so many comebacks, but you finished 7-9. Tom Brady comes in, adds in Rob Gronkowski as a tight end, uh, brings in Antonio Brown, even though that's eight games, but this team has stayed the same. The Devin White, the Carlton Davis, the Mike Evans, the team has stayed the same. But Tom Brady elevates, makes his teams better, goes from a 7-9 and nine team to one year missing the playoffs to an 11-5 team in winning the Super Bowl. That's the impact of Tom Brady. That is a sort of GOAT mentality to where everybody buys in. Everybody's better. It's not just the offense, but it's the whole team. It's the coaching staff. The coaching staff has been the same too. Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles. It's been the same. The only thing that really changed was Tom Brady. That, to me, is why he is so impactful. The other players I've mentioned, you know, 
outside of Stefan Diggs, they've all been there. Things have relatively changed, but it's all kind of been the same. Whereas Tom Brady, you see his impact, and that is a championship impact, which is why he is the most impactful player to me in the NFL and coming in to this season. So to me, the top 10 impactful players for their team and going into this season are number 10, George Kittle, 9, Derrick Henry, 8, Miles Garrett, 7, Stephon Diggs, 6, Russell Wilson, 5, TJ Watt, 4, Aaron Donald, 3, Patrick Mahomes, 2, Aaron Rodgers, and number 1, Tom Brady. Now moving on to NBA free agency. You have opt-outs by both Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard. So technically, they're unrestricted free agents. But both of them are expected to stay with their teams. Uh, It makes sense for Chris Paul to stay with this team. uh, Second best record in the NBA coming off an NBA Finals loss performance. Keeping the band together for another couple years makes sense. Even though with this contract situation, I think it's expected a three-year, $90 million deal, which would be $30 million a year, would probably cap-strap them for extensions for Aiton and Bridges and others. So that is an interesting play-out in development there. Kawhi Leonard is expected to sign a one-year deal with the Clippers for around $36 million before he can be offered you know, a max you know, five-year $235 deal next year. It makes sense, you know, if I was any team, I wouldn't want to shell out $36 million. If I was a Clippers, I wouldn't even want to shell out $36 because this is a man that has torn his ACL and will not be playing a lick of basketball for, this, for my team or meaningful basketball. So why would I want to allocate all this money, $37 million, to Kawhi Leonard when he's not going to play at all? I would not pay him. Again, it, you know, it makes sense because if you show him the loyalty – it's, you stick with him through his tough time. You could get him when he's healthy. But I have serious concerns about his health moving forward uh, with yet another ACL knee injury. Other news is Miami Heat are positioning themselves as front runners for Kyle Lowry. I think this is great to me. They have Goran Dragic, uh, but he is getting older, 35. Kyle Lowry is also older. But I think Kyle Lowry would fit in more with his team of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and kind of be the distributor, the playmaker for his team to me is a better natural point guard that can run this offense than Goran Dragic does. Goran Dragic splits time both off a bench and we're starting where Kyle Lowry is a bona fide star and, you know, second star has been to Kawhi Leonard when they won and is the leader and I think can be that same sort of system, maybe model themselves after Toronto, where Toronto had the point guard and Kyle Lowry, uh, the good two-way player in Kawhi Leonard, and a blossoming uh, power forward slash center in Pascal Siakam. And you could kind of mirror that here with Miami, uh, where you have uh, Kyle Lowry on your team as that leader and point guard and distributor. You have that great two-way defender in Jimmy Butler, and that blossoming power forward center in Bam Adebayo. But Raptors also had Fred Van Fleet as kind of that three-point scorer. This Miami Heat team has Duncan Robinson. They also have a nice additional piece in Tyler Hero if he could step up. So I see a lot of mirroring in what they're trying to do as you know teams are trying to catch the Milwaukee Bucks, the Brooklyn Nets in this division. And I think that's what the Knicks are trying to do as well. Uh, it's been reported that... Damian Lillard, if he were to seek a trade, his number one destination would be the New York Knicks. New York Knicks had a great year this year, finished fourth in their uh, conference in the East, had a great year. Nobody thought would happen. Uh, Comeback player of the year, uh, Julius Randle. That was how good he is. was great defensively, this whole team is. But for them to take a next step, they need more than Julius Randle. They need a big-time performer, and that's Damian Lillard. The pick-and-roll with this team would be great. I would like that trade a lot for the New York Knicks. 
Then there have now been reports shifting to the NHL of Marc-Andre Fleury playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. And to me, this turns uh, the Chicago Blackhawks from fringe playoff team that they were last year around the same to kind of a team that will make the playoffs and are positioning themselves uh, to be a team that competes in a tough division. And I think they can definitely compete with Mark on or with Mark Andre Fleury in this central division and Western conference. To me, Chicago will probably finish third. Now to me, it was close because you had French playoff teams such as Nashville St. Louis retooling, Dallas, Winnipeg. And to me, they'd probably miss out. But with Marc-Andre Fleury, to me, they're right behind Colorado and Minnesota. Why do I say that? Well, you have Jonathan Taze returning this year. Patrick Kane had a great year last year. Alex Dabrinkit had a breakout year. Kirby Dock will be fully healthy. They traded for Tyler Johnson. They made moves. They signed for Seth Jones to replace uh, Duncan Keith. So they made all these moves. Uh, to get better, but to me, the Mark Andre Fleury will be the most impactful and the best one because you look at their goalies that they had. They had Kevin Lincoln and Malcolm Subban and Colin Dillia last year. Lincoln was the starter with a .910 save percentage, allowed three goals a game on average, uh, 17 wins, 14 losses, two shutouts whereas everyone else was a lot worse you know, save percentage and shutouts in terms of goals allowed, but they all averaged over three goals allowed a game. Their goalies combined, uh, their save percentage were all hovering at around the very low 900 mark, just at 900. And they bring in Marc-Andre Fleury, who just won the Vesna Trophy, posted a record of 26 wins and 10 losses, his goal against average was 1.98. As I said, none of the Chicago goalies were below a three, the lower the better. So Marc-Andre Fleury didn't even allow two goals a game, whereas the Chicago Blackhawks goalie were exceeding that at three. Fleury had a .928 save percentage. None of them were close. And Marc-Andre Fleury also had around, I think, six shutouts. So he was simply phenomenal last year. And with this defense, this cornerstone, they look to contend and I think can do so with Marc-Andre Fleury. That is exciting. I'm glad he's playing. I love Marc-Andre Fleury. And I think the reason of this is because of what happened in Vegas, what stemmed in Vegas, is he's going to have a more bigger chip on his shoulder than he maybe he's already had in the past. I thought the reason he did so well this past year is he had the chip on his shoulder uh, because of Robin Leonard being named the starter during the season, before the season started, and how Robin Leonard was going to be the guy because Leonard was injured. You saw Fleury ascend, play that game. I think that chip will only grow with a team that drafted him and then spurned him, didn't even tell him that he was traded and notified via Twitter. I think Marc-Andre Fleury will have another great season. And finally, talking about baseball, all former Cubs players have homered with this team, which shows that they were not the problem. Javier Baez, Chris Bryant, and Anthony Rizzo are all performing well in their new respective locations. To me, they were never a reason as part of this 11-game losing streak that they were on. It was, you know other issues in the Cubs and coaching and managing themselves, which is why uh, they were not doing well. But to me, you have two premier divisions in baseball right now. You have the AL East and the NL West. To me, the NL is set. Uh, Nothing will change. You have the Central set with the Milwaukee Brewers. Seven games up, they will win that. The National League East maybe is the only one with the Phillies behind the Mets, but I think the Mets can still win it. They're three and a half games up. And then the NL West have the San Francisco Giants, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the San Diego Padres. And the Padres are four games up on the next wildcard team, which is the Reds. Even with Tatis injured, 
and maybe not being back uh, for a little while. Last night, the Padres won 8-1 to without him. They still get runs and hits from players not named Tatis. They still have Manny Machado. We traded for Adam Frazier. They have Jake Cronenworth and Will Meyer. So they still have a good team without Tatis uh, to make the playoffs. However, with the AL East, it is a different story because in the Central, you have the Chicago White Sox, who've almost wrapped this division up. You have Houston, which I think will win it, even though Oakland's close uh, and own a wild card spot. But the AL East, you have the Tampa Bay Rays leading this division. The Boston Red Sox, very close. The Yankees, seven games back. The Toronto Blue James, Blue Jays, eight games back. They all made move. However, one of these teams can make it. So you have the Red Sox in the first wild card, Oakland in the second, Yankees two and a half games back, and Toronto three and a half games back. And to me, you know, the most inconsistent team has been, you know, the Yankees, you know, and the Blue Jays, which is why uh, they're not where they are to me. Boston's been the most consistent. They don't even have their best pitcher in Chris Sale, who hasn't played at all this year. Be traded for Kyle Schwarber, who hasn't played yet. So to me, they've been the best team in the division. And uh, they haven't even had one of their best players or best pitchers. So to me, they're only going to get better, which is why I like them, is a lock to maybe win the division, but at least get the first wild card. Tampa Bay Rays, they have a great hitting lineup. The only fear I have is Tyler Glasnow and his injury, if that forces him into Tommy John surgery, but I still think with the hitting and the pitching and bullpen that they have, Tampa Bay's a force. To me, the Yankees are the only ones. They made big trades. You know, they got Anthony Rizzo. They got Joey Gallo, which was needed. Uh, They didn't get a bona fide pitcher. They have a favorable schedule and key matchups against the Mariners, the A's, uh, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, all left on the schedule. But with the inconsistency of pitching... And the lack of big-time hits in their lineup, I think it's going to catch up to them. And I do not see the Yankees making the playoffs this year. I think they got too far behind. Yes, they could make it, but I do not see the Yankees making the playoffs in a meaningful way. Yes, they might get the second wild card, or even the first, heck, because that's all close. But they will not be one of the teams in the divisional round when the wild card is done because the wild card is a one and done. So if they were to get to the second spot, they would play Boston in Boston. Winner goes and advances to then a best of five playoffs, but that is it. So to me, that's scary stuff. And the Yankees do not have that in them this year. That's it, folks. Again, football is back. August is back, preseason football. I will be breaking down more football as we speak. NBA free agency is upon us. Big names will be signed. All that more soon. Bye, everybody.